turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Now, we started a series of while uh, at the beginning of the month, uh, a series on the church. And really, we, we want it to, uh, to be throughout the month of, of January, but we may have to go into uh, February now because of counseling of church last week. But we want to know what God says about the church. It is our desire to submit ourselves to what Christ is doing in the church and what He expects in the church. And it, that's our responsibility. There's some people that want to redefine the church. But we have no... That is not our privilege. That is not our right. We have no right to redefine the church. We simply find... Uh, what God says about it, what Christ says about it in the Word of God, and we submit to that. That's what we want to do. There's many ideas of what the church should look like these days. Uh, there are many people who want to redefine the church and make it uh, something that it's really not biblically. One of the biggest things, I think, is just this whole idea that the church is there to attract the unbeliever. And we can do spectacular things, and we're just there to to attract the unbeliever. That thinking actually goes way back over a hundred years ago with Charles Finney. And he started that mentality with revivals, the whole revival, uh, revivalism. There's, there's, revival has its place, but, uh, but this was a, a guaranteed. He could come into your town and he can guarantee so many people would, would come and guaranteed so many people would become Christians as a result. And he had this down to a formula. And you can read these things. Robert Schuller picked up on this idea back in the 50s. and Actually, I think it was 1960. He founded his church. He bought a drive-in. And what you would do is you would just drive up in his church. You stay in your car. You get your little receiver. And you can listen to him as he preached from, and he called it, the, the Tower of Power. He had a, a huge tower there. And he would preach... And then you would just drive away and, and that would be church. Never have to speak to anyone. Never have to actually see anyone. But that's redefining the church. And we don't have that responsibility. He got so large that he built the Crystal Cathedral. It's, a, it's amazing how, how popular these things can be. Bill Hybels then took that concept of attracting the unsaved and, and he was able to establish a church back in, again, the 70s and 80s, early 80s, that he was able to uh, take this idea and he went out to his community and surveyed the community to find out why people weren't coming to church. And he would give them, uh, he, would, he would make sure that there was no obstacles for them to come to church. And so he would collect them. And, uh, and he, today, probably has 24,000 people in his church. That's what they run, average Rick Warren, he took that philosophy. He's the one that wrote 40 Days of Purpose, the Purpose Driven Life. And there's a lot of good things in there, but it rides on the back of a bad philosophy of church. And again, it's this idea of attracting people. We want to attract as many unsaved. And now, again, there's a, there's a good element in that, but it's a bad philosophy of the church. It's not a good philosophy of the church. And it's caused us then to, to make a, an idea or, or come up with a, a definition. What is the church? What makes up the church? And just like anything else, your car, your house, 
uh, appliances. They're all made up of, of various different parts, and we see all kinds of elements of the church. But what is the essential? What, is the, what are the essentials of the church? I mean, you can have a house, but if you don't have the structure, if you don't have the four walls, you really don't have a house. You can have the appliances and electricity and plumbing and all that, but if you don't have those things, you can have a car. You can have the braking system and the steering system and the engine and the tires. But if you don't have the body and the chassis, you don't have a car, right? What are the essentials of the church? We can have programs and leaders and meetings and giving. What are the essentials? Last week we looked at these. Let me just briefly go through them. A true church is made up of redeemed people. We have to understand that. We have to understand that. I was reading through Matthew chapter 13. And, the, and Jesus makes a point. There's a parable that Jesus gives. And this farmer goes out. He spreads the seed. Or he, he not just spreads the seed. He cultivates this. He plants this seed. And he says, now while he was asleep, his enemies came. And what did they do? They planted tares. He planted this seed that looks like wheat but is not wheat and they wouldn't even know it until you, it comes up and then it's, then it's too late. And that was his enemy. And it was his enemy's job. And Jesus goes on to explain in that passage that the enemy was Satan himself. And Satan himself, it's his job, if you will, to plant in Christ's kingdom, Christ's church, tares, unsaved. And then in Matthew chapter 18, we see that there's a large chunk of that that is given to how to identify unsaved people and put them out of the church. That's essentially it. So we can flood the church with unbelievers, but that is not, that is not the biblical... We, you cease to be a church. It, is not, uh, it just becomes a community center or a country club. But it's not a church. Number two, the true church has an accurate and high view of God. If we don't have that, if the church does not have that, we're verging on idolatry, occultism. Number three, the church church, uh, submits to the authority and teaching of Scripture from godly men. You must have godly men to teach the Scripture, and we submit to that. That's part of the church. That's what we do. Unbelievers don't submit. Oh, they may come in and, and they may kind of look like they submit. There's a godliness without the denies its power. There's a conformity, but it's from the heart. There's a submission of the heart, a submission of the will there. And number four, the true church will increase in personal holiness. That's what Christ is doing. Christ brings us together. He is washing and cleansing His bride for Himself. And if, you are, if we are claimed to be the true church, if we're part of the body of Christ, then that's what you can expect. You can expect Christ to wash His church. And without any of these, without, or you take away any one of these four and you cease to be a church, it's like the body. You, you, uh, you have to have uh, bones to hang the body on. These things, everything else hangs on these four things, four elements of the church. Okay, that's important. It's important that we understand these, the role of these things. But it doesn't touch on the purpose of the church. It doesn't tell us what we are to do and our responsibilities. But, and we'll ask that question, what is the role of the church? What are we to do? But before we ask that, and we'll probably look at that 
down the road at some point. But a more important question is, what is the attitude of the church? What is the attitude of the church? Churches can do a lot of things. They can be really active. They can take great satisfaction in their legalistic behavior. They can be really satisfied and think they're doing a great job because they've got a big church and that's their job is to grow a big church. Or they could do a lot of good deeds, a lot of things in order to work their way to heaven. It's what you are looking at, what you design, what is, what is the attitude behind these things. It could just be just plain fulfillment. Oh, we just feel good because we've, we've done this and we've done that. So the more important is not just what we do. We can legalistically do all kinds of good things, but for bad reasons. God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. Now, so the church, the church must have proper attitude, proper biblical attitude. It has to be motivated by proper, and that motivates, a, a biblical attitude will motivate proper behavior. Okay? The attitude comes first. The proper thinking. And that's what an attitude is. It's, it's just a combination of ideas. Just the way we think about something. The way we view something. And it actually can be seen even in our posture. And our worship is an attitude. Now, I want to give you a proper uh, understanding of the church. Here's, here's the question. What is the proper attitude of the church? There's 17 of them. Now, obviously, we're not, not going to get through all 17 today, right? Okay, you see that. But I want you to see, these are proper attitudes. It's important that we give thought about what's going on in our heart and in our minds before we just rush out and just do things because this is what the church does. We have to have a proper attitude. It is crucial that we begin to think biblically about these things. And these things, these proper attitudes have to underline everything that we do here at Daniel's Bible Church. Our leadership, our organizational structure, the programs, the, the meetings, the, the giving, the teaching. Everything has to be permeated with these, these proper attitudes for it to glorify God. And essentially, it, this is just walking by the Holy Spirit, walking and being controlled by the Spirit. Spirit-controlled people do spirit-led things. You say, well, where do we start? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start where Jesus start started. This is his beginning of his ministry. The first sermon that's recorded from Jesus. And at the beginning of his sermon, and it runs on for three chapters here, the beginning of his sermon is, is the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes give us... A portrait or a picture, if you will, of the citizen. What the citizen of God's kingdom or Christ's kingdom looks like. Now someday Christ is going to come back and He's going to establish His physical kingdom here on this earth. It's going to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be renewed. Uh, They're going to recognize their king and He is going to rule from Jerusalem. But right now He is ruling from heaven and His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and that kingdom is within our hearts it's an invisible kingdom. It's in the hearts. It's those who submit to His kingship. Those are the ones in His kingdom. And so we read the Beatitudes and we find out who belongs in the kingdom. What are, what are the attitudes? What are the characteristics? You might say, what are the family traits, the family attributes or distinctions? 
And the first one we see in verse 2. Let me begin, let me, uh, begin reading in verse 2. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, let's just stop right there. He gives us three things there. The first one is the poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit. And we've seen this before. It just means beggarly. The word poor there. It's not they're existing. They just don't have very much. No, this is someone else sustaining you. I I don't have anything. And everything uh, that I have has to be given to me because I cannot sustain myself. This is beggarly poor. Now, folks, this is where it starts. If the church is an engine, this is the, the spark plug. This is where everything begins right here. An attitude of humility. An attitude of humility. He says it's poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit. Now, Arthur Pink, he says that uh, it is the first experiential evidence of divine work of grace within the soul. And what he is saying there, this is an act of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to work in a person's heart to bring them to the point that they are convicted over their sin... And that produces a consciousness of their emptiness and their need for God. That's a good thing to grasp. The Holy Spirit works in our heart, brings us to the point that we see that we're just spiritually bankrupt. And we need God desperately. There's nothing in and of ourselves. We need God. Now, the opposite of being poor in spirit is being haughty in spirit, right? Haughty, self-sufficient, self-assertive, pride. All of those things that the world would see, oh, that's important. It's like Pharaoh. We heard about Pharaoh in Sunday school today. But Pharaoh said, who is God that I should obey him or his voice? That's not poor in spirit. That's haughty. That's arrogant. It's a sense of desperation and destitution so much so that i have to look outside myself for enrichment being poor in spirit poor in spirit it's facing a reality facing the reality that your righteousness is filthy rags i think paul said that that your your very best performance is unacceptable to god now can you imagine cain You wonder why Cain was so upset, but his very best, he brought it to God, but it was unacceptable. That's exactly poor in spirit. That's exactly, his his reaction was not good, but it's just being unacceptable. The best that we can do is empty, is nothing to God. It's the realization that you have nothing, that you are nothing, and that you can do nothing, and that you need everything. You need everything. It's an acknowledgement of utter helplessness, worthlessness before God. And it's acknowledging that your proper place is in the dust before God's feet. And I say, that's pretty low. That's pretty bad. Did, did you pay any attention to the dust? <laughs> There's no dust today. It's just, we don't pay any attention to the, the, the ground that we walk on. We don't, we don't really even look at that. God has no right, no responsibility to to even pay us any attention. 
We're rebelling against him, you say. And, and we're essentially just dust. You, I can hear the protesters now saying, well, God doesn't make junk. And I've, I've heard that so many times. God doesn't make junk. Um, no, but you know what? Sin produces junk. And we're all sinful. And, and that's what we are, is, is junk. We are worthless before God. But here's what God can do. He purchases junk and He redesigns junk or He remakes junk and He makes it new. The only worth that we have, folks, is in Christ Jesus. Now that should bring humility to us. Poor in spirit goes together with mourning. Poor in spirit. The next one is, is mourning. And those two go together. And just like Peter. He recognizes that he is sinful. He has sinned against God. He goes out and he mourns. He weeps bitterly. It's like the, the prodigal son. He, you can imagine him out there in the field. And he's feeding these pigs. And the, the pigs are eating better than he is. And he's getting hungry. He's needy. And that produces a meekness, a humbleness, a gentleness, a brokenness before God. And that's exactly where we come in in verse 5. Gentle. That's the characteristic. Humility. Meekness. Gentleness. The Greek word, praeus. And, and it means mild. It means soft. It's like a, a, a soft, gentle breeze. Or it could describe a, a medicine that uh, you put on your skin that... Maybe like alloy when you have a sunburn. But the most time that it's referred to is like a, it's in the, the breaking of a colt. It's this taking this wild animal and the trainer has to break that colt. It's not that that colt is weak. There's no weakness there. It's just all of that strength, all of that energy. This, this uh, horse, and he has to be trained. He has to be broken so that he can be useful. It's not weakness. But it's channeling all of that energy to, to a, and strength to productivity, to being productive. Now that's, that's always been God's way. God breaks them to be able to use the person. Now everything's going to be got, done for His glory. But if we are going to be a church that you be used by the Lord, the Lord's, Lord will work on us our meekness, our gentleness. I mean, that's what it is. God's breaking us so that He can use us. He, he breaks us uh, so that we're captivated or captivity to His obedience. We bow before God. And folks, that is where the church begins. This has to be the beginning point. It's the default position for the believer. The default position. When I came in this morning, something was wrong with the, the router. Well, who cares? Well, if you would try to get on your, your phone, try to get on the Internet, the router was gummed up. It was working. It was on. I went and checked it. But there's a, there's a button in the back. You push that button, and it resets. And everything goes, all the confusion, all the problems go away, and it comes back. Now, I don't know how it works, but that's the way it works. It's a default position. You, you get rid of all of the clutter. And that's what, that's what is happening here. Christ remakes us. He breaks us. And, and we become submissive to His will. Our, our will is yielded to His. It, it touches our very nature, our very character, our very attitudes, our very posture of the believer. Now let's just apply this. Apply this to our lives. What does He say? Go back to 
Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word blessed there is happy. That's all. That's really what it is. It's really what it is. People from every age and every place, men have been looking for happiness and they think that happiness is found in being rich and being smart and being beautiful and being strong. And Jesus is pronouncing, no, happiness is being poor in spirit, broken over your sin, mourning over your sin, and there's a a gentleness, a meekness that comes away from that, and you are allowed then to be in the kingdom. Because that's that's the blessing. For theirs is the kingdom. And there's an emphatic theirs there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they, and again, it's an emphatic they. They shall be comforted. And no one else. They enter the kingdom. And no one else. Verse 5. Blessed are the gentle. For they shall inherit the earth. Not anyone else. They get it. And it starts with a humility, a brokenness, a gentleness before God. Now, if you are an unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever, essentially you're, you're just this wild cult out there saying, I want my way. I will not repent. I will not do His way. I want my way. And the Holy Spirit has to break you. The Holy Spirit has to bring you to repentance I like this little quote. Eternal life is for those who come with empty hands and have nothing to offer to God and they just are begging for mercy. Begging for mercy. You say, well, how do we get to be broken? How do we come to the point that we're mourning over our sin? Number one, I'll just go through this quickly. We have to remove the hindrances. Remove the hindrances. Let me tell you a couple of the hindrances. Number one, we just love our sin. And that hinders us when we, when we want our own way. We just want it. This is my way. I'm going to do it my way. And let me tell you, our culture just feeds that. Do it your way. You're the center of the universe. Love of sin. Conceit. Just pride. Uh, there's, there's nothing to mourn over. Oh, I'm a good person. Satan will feed you that lie. That's an obstacle to, to being humble. Presumption, presumption of God's grace upon His... uh, We take His food, we take in His air, we take in His, essentially His universe. We're presuming upon Him. And you know, that's a a hindrance. We think we do it. And then procrastination. James chapter 4 is a great verse for that. Just procrastination uh, before God. If we want to be humbled, if we want to be broken over our sin... We have to get rid of the hindrances. Next, we have to study God's Word. We have to learn what sin is. We have to see that it's repulsive to God. We have to see that it is evil. We have to see God's righteousness and God's glory and God's holiness. And then we pray for it. We want to be broken before God. We pray, Lord, make my heart contrite before You. Now, if you're saved, you, you've already been schooled. You understand brokenness. You understand mildness and discipline and suffering that leads to a conformity to God's will. But here's what we do. We have the propensity to wander. We begin, okay, I've submitted myself to God, but boy, I just start looking around. I would like to do this. 
I would like to do that. I would like, and we pick up our will and we just begin to do our will. And we don't even recognize it. Uh, we become barren in our spirit, not producing anything, unproductive to God. In fact, what we wind up doing is fighting against God because it's His will or my will. And I have to say, the closer the believer lives to God, the more he will mourn over his dishonoring God. It's just the way it is. The closer we get to God... So what, what, what do we have to do? We have to come back to God. We have to repent. We have to be broken again before God. And we have to examine our heart. Are we obedient? Are we obedient? Humility is, humility is the fundamental trait. If you, you could look at Christians all over the world and genuine believers are humbled, humbled before God. Arthur Pink says it's the first birthmark of the Christian or the uh, child of God. The church must have a, a proper attitude of humility. Now, let's just think about this for a second and we'll let you go. How much of your behavior is motivated with the right attitude? We can pick up the way the world is thinking about church and have the world redefine church and just in our arrogance with no humility at all just say, I'm going to build Christ church. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to have a huge church. And folks, there's a lot of men out there that they are doing that very thing. And I believe it's not God's church. I believe it's man's church. It's a man-centered church. So many of them. But here's what we do. We kind of pick up that same type of uh, philosophy, that same type of mentality, and it becomes my church. I'm going to do it my way. My ministry. My Sunday school class. This is what I want to do. And that just has no place in the church. We all, as a congregation, Daniel's Bible Church, we submit ourselves to this word. It's not my will. It's not my will. It's not the elders' will. It's not the congregation's will. It's Christ's will. Christ is the one who is leading His church. He is building His church. And He's going to start in the very hearts of men. That's where it has to start. It has to start in the heart. It has to start in the heart. I love this quote from Pink. It's a harsh thing. It's a harsh reality. But here's what he says, and I'll close with this. If you are still following the course of self-pleasure, just your own desire, following your own self, He says, you are only deceiving yourself if you think that you have submitted to Christ. We can't serve God and man. We can't serve ourselves if we're serving God. We have to take up a humble attitude and submit to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for those that are here. Thank you for refreshing time in your word. Lord, it's been so good. We didn't meet last week, and it's so good to be together and just fellowship and listen to the Word. Lord, help us to have a meek and gentle spirit. Help us to follow truth, the truth of Your Word. Not my will, no one else's will, but Your will be done. Lord, may we just constantly be checking our own heart, checking our own attitude, so that we're in line with what you are doing. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.